Okay, Ezekiel. We're making our way on through into the uh, in the Old Testament here, making our way into what we call the major prophets, and um, this is the the third of the of the major prophets. Um, Ezekiel. He's uh, there's Isaiah. We looked at a couple of weeks ago in Jeremiah, and then Jeremiah's little small book right after um, right after he uh, was, or actually while the um, the, the city of Jerusalem was being destroyed after they had been taken captive. And uh, the book of Lamentations, we looked at that last week uh, pretty quickly at the end. So now we're in the book of Ezekiel. So uh, there are 48 chapters in the book of Ezekiel. And the theme of it, we, we said there's a word or a phrase that we kind of look as a key theme through the book of each of the books we study. And this is uh, the glory of the Lord is found 48 times uh, in those chapters, I believe I counted that right, in the 48 chapters. But anyway, it's found a number of times in the chapters, and uh, that's the theme of it. And then, shall know the phrase, shall know that I am the Lord, occurs 57 times there, uh, where God says this and this and this happens, so they shall know that I am the Lord. And uh, a lot of it has to do with their captivity, a lot, and some of it has to do with the enemy nations around them. And so, as I mentioned, these are the same books I've uh, pretty much been using a good bit during our study. Um, and so let's move on with our timeline. Um, Ezekiel is a little bit later than Jeremiah. He's about 592 to 585 B.C., uh, roughly. And it's written during the time of captivity is when he writes. They're already in captivity. Um, but he's in Jerusalem at times. And then there's a time later in the book where he's, he's uh, uh, outside of Jerusalem. And he's there in captivity as he writes. And so he, um, he writes... After they've already gone into captivity, uh, Jeremiah was writing as they were going into captivity. So Ezekiel's dated just a little bit later. His, his lifetime uh, was just a little bit later. He's similar to Jeremiah in that both of them came from a priestly tribe. Uh, even though they didn't turn out to be priests themselves, they did come from a priestly tribe. He was about 25 years old when he was taken to Babylon. And it was about eight years after Daniel, our next book, Lord willing, next week, about eight years after he was taken into captivity. Uh, he, was, um, he was taken into captivity right in the early part of the captivity when right as uh, Babylon uh, takes over Jerusalem, King Nebuchadnezzar. And so he's there about eight years after. So they pro quite probably knew each other. Uh, in fact, uh, we'll see a little bit more about that a little bit later. But uh, there he is about 12 years before the temple was destroyed. They were taken into captivity before, I mean, the temple still remained in Jerusalem and it was destroyed later. So he writes about 12 years before it was destroyed. His ministry begins about five years after they arrived in exile, as we mentioned just a moment ago. So go with me to chapter 1. And let's look at the first two verses. Uh, that's got verse 2 up there, but let's look at verse 1 and 2. Now it came to pass in the 30th year and the fourth month and the fifth day of the month, as I was among the captives by the river of Chibar, uh, that the heavens opened and I saw visions of God. We'll get to those in a moment, but look at verse 2. In the fifth day of the month, which was the fifth year of Jehoiachin's, or Jehoiakin, if you want to pronounce it CH that way, Jehoiachin's captivity. So it dates it, and uh, they've been in um, Babylon in exile there for about five years. And uh, Ezekiel, if you, as you read through the book, you'll notice several places where he's pretty um, detailed about some of the dates. Not all the prophets give as much detail on the dates as he does. Uh, but he gives, he gives a lot of detail on the, on the dates from place to place as to when um, they go into captivity and under the time of the king of Judah at the time, whenever it happened. And that's what he mentions there in verse 2. So it's about five years after they arrive in exile in Babylon. He was ending his ministry, or Jeremiah, excuse me, was ending his ministry in Jerusalem about that time that Ezekiel begins. Daniel was serving under Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, he was already, as we saw just a moment ago in Babylon. So he began his ministry among, Ezekiel did, among the exiled Jews that were in Babylon. And so uh, he, he begins his ministry there. Now he does mention Jerusalem and goes back there at time. But he, he began his ministry there among those that were already in captivity. So, as we'll see tonight, the thing about Jeremiah that we talked about last week, his ministry was a lot, really sad. We talked about how he you know, was a weeping prophet, and he preached, and the people never listened. And he probably thought, you know, is anybody listening? Is there any going to be any good results of this? And so, the thing is, though, 
apparently, we don't know how, how, if they knew each other or how well they did, but apparently Ezekiel was one of those that kind of grew because of Daniel's ministry and God called, or excuse me, Jeremiah's ministry and God called him because of the influence in the ministry of Jeremiah. It had made an impact on him. And so um, Jeremiah may or, not, may or may not have known that about Ezekiel. He does now. He's with the Lord. But, uh, but nevertheless, there was some good fruit that came as a result for Jeremiah. So he prophesied during the reign of three kings. Now Jeremiah and Isaiah, there were several more, but he prophesied during Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim or Jehoiachin, that's the one that we just read in verse 2. And then Zedekiah, he was the last king. When we, when we talked about in 2 Chronicles about the kings, he basically was a king uh, with no kingdom. <laughs> they had already gone into captivity, but yet he was still king over Judah, even though they were most of them were gone. So he was he was king over like a un you know disorderly group. They weren't all really. They were really most of them in captivity, and very few remained in Judah. And so he was he prophesied. He was a prophet during those time during the reigns of those kings. And as we'll see a little later, we'll get the minor prophets. Habakkuk, which is just a small uh, three-chapter book, he and Ezekiel both prophesied during the same time. And we get to Habakkuk, we'll look at his audience, so to speak, at his congregation, so to speak, and talk about you know how similar, how different they were. But nevertheless, they prophesied during the same time. So, of course, like the others, it was written to the southern kingdom during their time of captivity. They were already in captivity uh, and Jeremiah, when we studied him, they were about to go into captivity. Now they're in captivity. And it was written mostly to the southern kingdom, although it also uh, reaches out to all of, all of both kingdoms, Israel and Judah. And then, of course, it's written, some of this is prophecy to some of the nations around them. We'll get to that. The key passage, if we go with me, is chapter 36 and verse 17 to 19. Um, kind of was past midway of the book. There are 48 chapters, as we said. 36, verse 17 through 19. And it says this. Son of man, when the house of Israel dwelt in their own land, they defiled it by their, um, by their own way and by their doings. Their way was before me as the uncleanness of a removed woman. Wherefore, I poured my fury upon them for the blood that they had shed upon the land and for their idols wherewith they had polluted it. And I scattered them among the heathen and they were dispersed through the countries according to their way and according to their doings. I judged them. So that's the key verse to it because um, as, as uh, you see uh, the Lord speaking there, starting in verse 16, see him speaking there to um, to Ezekiel, it's about how his people, both tribes, I mean, both, both kingdoms, northern and southern, had gone into captivity. <clears throat> Excuse me, so that's our key passage there. Now, here's a quick uh, outline of the, of the book. Then we'll come down and break it down and look at some, some highlights, as we usually do. In chapters 1 to 7, you see the calling and commission of Ezekiel, which is rather unique when we see chapter 1 here in just a moment, read a little bit more of it. But it gives his calling and his commission for Ezekiel to, to, to preach to those and to prophesy to those that are already in captivity in, um, in Babylon. And then, uh, chapters 8 to 24, you see a lot in there about the captivity of Jerusalem and of Israel and how um, you know they were in captivity, and they were going to be you know so much time would go by before they finally would be able to once again go back to, uh, to the land, and their captivity would end. Then chapters twenty-five to thirty-two, uh, that section there talks about different uh, various nations around them that God um, brings into judgment. Some of them were nations that they had had problems with since way way back before uh, the first king, before Saul. Um, the, um, the, the nation of Moab, the nation of Edom, uh, which actually Edom was, was part of the descendants of Israel, um, the nation of Egypt, the nation of Ammon. So it, it, he, has, um, he prophesies, it gives judgment against the neighboring uh, countries, some of the nations around them. And then the, um, most of it is, is, uh, talks about the future and the coming kingdom. We'll, we'll see a little bit more about that in just a moment. But it's future prophecy and thing about, things about the coming kingdom. Um, so you can break it down this way. Chapters 1 to 24, which includes you know, his calling, is the fall of Judah. Chapters 25 to 32, the foes or the enemies of Judah. 
and then 33 to 40, the future of Judah. And then there are, of course, eight more chapters after that. But um, to break it down kind of um, uh, in that way, a little bit more general way of breaking it down. So let's look at some key places in the book of Ezekiel. And one of the things about Ezekiel, we won't look at all of them tonight. There are about 13 or so um, um, God calls him to do some very unique things, and, and we won't look at but about five of them tonight. They're all very odd, and um, as you look at them, you think they're, they're quite odd. But, you know, I was thinking about this as I study this. Um, we, I'm using this as a visual aid, right? Well, some of these are interesting visual aids that God tells Elijah, or excuse me, Ezekiel to do. Let's look at one, um, two of them, or three of them actually in chapter 4, uh, right back to back. Go to chapter 4. If you will, and look at verse 1 to 3. So he has him basically draw a map of, of Jerusalem, and he does it in a very unique way. Uh, verse, verse 1 of chapter 4, Thou also, son of man, take thee a tile and lay it before thee. Basically, it would be a piece of flooring or something, maybe an actually wall, but take a big piece of flooring or, or wall and put it down before you and portray upon it the city, even Jerusalem, and lay siege against it. And build a fort against it, and cast a mount against it, set the camp against it, and battering rams against it round about. Moreover, take thou unto thee an iron pan, and set it for a wall of iron between thee and the city, and set thy face against it, and shall be besieged, and thou shalt lay siege against it. This shall be a sign of the house of Israel. Be somewhat like a, like a small um, a scale size of a city. You know, where, the, where you see the buildings that are scaled, you know, modeled to the, the city, and you may have a river or a train or something like that uh, in it. And so it's very similar, a very um, a unique way of him to put, a, to put a map together of the whole city. And he wants him to get an idea in his mind of the layout of the city because he'll go throughout the city and do various things at different times. And so this is uh, the first one of about 13. Uh, let's look at another one, chapter 4, verse 4 and 5, the very next verses. Lie thou also upon thy left side, and lay the, uh, lay the iniquity of the house of Israel upon it. According to the number of the days that thou shalt lie upon it, thou shalt bear their iniquity. Uh, for I have laid upon thee the years of their iniquity, according to the number of the days, 390 days, so shalt thou bear the iniquity of the house of Israel. So for 390 days of their, of their sin and disobedience throughout the, the years, he, he told him, um, lie, lie down on your left side and do that for 390 days. Now, I'm sure he had to get up from time to time, uh, you know, uh, as anyone would. But for the, for the time, you know, during the most time during the day, that's, he would just lay that way for 300, for over a year to be a visual to the city, to, to Jerusalem and to, to Judah, that he's there because of their iniquity of those years. So people that saw him, people that came to visit him, people that walked by him, uh, would see him, what are you doing that for? This is why I'm doing this. I'm doing this because of the iniquity of Israel. Chapter uh, 4, verse 6, he turns over, but this side is less amount of time. He's on his right side this time. Um, and when thou hast accomplished them, after that 390 days, lie again on thy right side. Thou shalt bear the iniquity of the house of Judah 40 days. I have appointed thee each day for a year. So uh, for 40 years, um, he, he had him uh, to, to be on his, uh, for 40 days, representing 40 years. It's probably the years of, of wandering, I don't know, but it, it, it um, was, was about Israel and their history. Chapter 5, let's move there. Chapter 5, verse 1 to 4. He was to shave his head and shave his beard. Thou son of man, take thee a sharp knife and take thee a barber's razor, and cause it to pass upon thy head and upon thy beard, and take thee balances to weigh, and divide the hair. So as soon as he cut all of it, his hair, his beard, put it on a balance, uh, like, like if, you're, if he was purchasing something somewhere, and, and they balance it to know how much to charge, uh, and weigh it on the balance, divide the hair. Look what he does with it. Thou shalt uh, burn with fire a third part in the midst of the city. He's to go right in the middle of Jerusalem and set a third, part, a third of it on fire. However much hair it was, a third of it, set it on fire. That's an interesting thing. Uh, and then it says, when the day of the siege are fulfilled, thou shalt take a third part and smite it about with a knife. Take it, the rest of it with a knife and just cut it up with a knife. Uh, he had some strange things to do in his calling, didn't he? And a third part thou shalt scatter in the wind and I will draw out a sword after them. Um, and thou shalt also take there of a few number and bind them in thy skirts. Of course, it would be what, what we know of uh, is kind of uh, somewhat like a, uh, a, a woman's skirt, but it would be like a robe, basically. And he said, bind them in your skirt. And it says there in verse number four, 
take them off, uh, take uh, of them again and cast them into the midst of the fire and burn them in the fire, for there shall a fire come forth into all the house of Israel. So God had him do some strange uh, visual aids for them to see um, the, that you know, he was bringing judgment upon them. That's why they were going through all of this. That's why they were already in captivity. And the ones that were left in Jerusalem, he, they were given this visual, um, uh, since they wouldn't listen to, to you know, the other prophets, they were given something visual to get their attention. One last one, and again, there's 13, so we're not, we're not looking at all of them, of course. Uh, chapter 24, and this is really odd. Chapter 24. But it tells in here why he gets, has him to do this one also. Chapter 24, verse 15. And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, behold, I take away from thee the desire of thine eyes with a stroke. Yet neither shalt thou mourn nor weep, neither shall thy tears run down. And he's, he's talking, about, talking about his wife. Forbear to cry, make no mourning for the dead. Bind the tire of thine head upon thee, and put on thy shoes upon thy feet, and cover not thy lips, and eat not the bread of men. So I spake to the people in the morning, and even my wife died, I did in the morning as I was commanded. And the people said unto me, Wilt thou not uh, tell us what uh, these things are to us, and what thou doest? And then he tells them in the next verses, the word of the Lord says this. So he was to uh, not even mourn his wife's death. That is a strange thing, but God asked, uh, commanded him to do that. And the reason he did that was to, to show God's people how they never mourned over their sin of rebellion against God, of disobeying God, of their idol worship. They never mourned over it. They, they didn't care. And so it was a, a visual aid for that. So Ezekiel never, you know, to, 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 to sum it up, he was given a very unique ministry uh, of, of being a prophet and the things God called him to do. So let's look at some, some highlight places in uh, this. Let's see, we're looking at a couple of seconds. Let's see. Uh, we're going to go uh, just skip some of the chapters here and look, look at several things that are quite interesting. Chapters 1 and 10, um, they have, they have a, a cherubim. I mentioned cherubim. Uh, let me skip forward just a moment. And wheels. And then we're going to look at some other highlights. We're going to skip around. As you can see, we're not, certainly not going chapter by chapter. But go with me to chapter 1, and then we're going to skip to chapter 10 in a moment and read several verses here. Um, this is quite interesting, and there's a lot of uh, commentators have tried to figure all this out and try to take, um, take this and um, figure out what, what was going on here. But apparently, this is uh, God's using this uh, vision for Ezekiel as he calls him into the ministry, he shows him what's going on in heaven. Uh, chapter 1, let's pick up at verse 4, if you will, and uh, won't read the whole chapter. Let's just read down to verse um, to verse 15 from verse 4. And I looked and behold, a whirlwind came out of the north, a great cloud and a fire enfolding itself, and a brightness was about it, and out of the midst thereof is the color of amber out of the midst of the fire. So uh, you remember, maybe if you remember back when we studied Job, uh, I think it's in chapter 37, he spoke to Job out of a whirlwind. And then you see here about the whirlwind and the fire. Remember when God called Elijah up, uh, raptured him, so to speak, in 2 Kings chapter 2? Uh, when he took him up into heaven, he went on this chariot of, uh, of, uh, of you know, these uh, horses of fire and chariot, and uh, it was taken up in that whirlwind. Remember that. So this is uh, obviously something God uses to speak, uh, something very important. Verse 5, also out of the midst thereof came uh, the likeness of four living creatures, and this was their appearance, and they had the likeness of a man. So let's look and see how these interesting creatures, these uh um, as we'll see in a moment, they're called cherubim, how they're described. Verse 6, and one had four, uh, and everyone, excuse me, had four faces. Everyone had four wings. Their feet were straight feet. The sole of their feet was like the sole of a calf's foot. And they sparkled like the color of burnished brass. That'd be quite a thing, thing to see. That's not something you see every day. Verse 8, and they had the hands of a man under their wings on their four sides. And they four had their faces and their wings. So these are winged creatures. They have four of them, and each of them have a hand on their wings. So um, I bet birds wish they had hands with their wings, don't you? But they don't. Uh, but these creatures do. They're winged creatures. They're not angels. We'll see that in a moment. Verse 9, their wings were joined one to another. They turned not when they went, and they went everyone straight forward. So they just kept moving to this number like this. 
odd thing, isn't it? Verse 10, as for the likeness of their faces, they four had the face of a man. Remember it said each one had four faces. The face of a man, the face of a lion, on the right side, they on the and the four. Um, they on the four of the face of an ox on the left side, and the four had the face of an eagle. So a man, a lion, an ox, and an eagle uh, on each of these. Verse eleven. Thus were their faces, and their wings were stretched upward. Two wings of every one were joined one to another, and two covered their bodies. And they went everyone straight forward, whither the spirit was to go. They went, and they turned not when they went. For as as for the excuse me as for the likeness of the living creatures, their appearance was like burning coals of fire, like the appearance of lamps. It went up and down among the living creatures, and the fire was bright. Out of the fire went forth lightning. So apparently, these these lights uh, that burn like coals that just kept the, the lights just kept going, flickering all up and down, moving. It looks like, according to this. Uh, verse fourteen, and the living creatures ran in return as the appearance of a flash of lightning. Verse 15, now as I beheld the living creatures, behold, one will upon the earth by the living creatures with his four faces. And then he describes more down through here about these. And as you read down, um, read down through here, it mentions uh, the wheels again. Let's skip for now to verse 20. Whithersoever the spirit was to go, they went. Thither was their spirit to go, and the wheels were lifted up over against them, for the spirit of the living creature was in the wheels. So here you have living creatures that have wings and hands on their wings for Four faces, and they have wheels. That's just an odd, odd th uh, thing to think about. But these were, and maybe still are, in heaven in God's presence. As, as Ezekiel had this vision that God called him to, uh, to minister, and he began with this as a calling. That's quite a, quite a beginning. And go over to chapter 10, and there, uh, there's some more mention. This isn't quite as long of a chapter. It's 28 verses in chapter 1, but 22 in chapter 10 and let's read right now down from verse 1 to verse 7. Um, actually, verse, uh, down to verse number, um, verse 9. Then I looked, and behold, in the firmament that was above the head of the cherubims. So these creatures in chapter 1, they're called cherubims. And in chapter 10, we see here, that's, that's, that's what they're called. We'll come back to that in a moment. There appeared over them, as it were, a sapphire stone, as the appearance of the likeness of a throne. And he spake unto the man clothed with linen and said, Go in between the wheels, even under the cherub, and fill thine hand with coals of fire from between the cherubims and scatter them over the city. And he went in my sight. Now the cherubim stood on the right side of the house when the man went in and the cloud filled the inner court. Then the glory of the Lord went up from the cherub and stood over the threshold of the house. And the house was filled with the cloud and the court was full of the brightness of the Lord's glory. And the sound of the cherubim's wings was heard even to the outer court as the voice of the Almighty when, he, when uh, Almighty God when He speaketh. So remember, they're, they're in heaven, and the outer court is a, is a court uh, area in heaven in God's presence. Verse 6, And it came to pass that when He had commanded the man clothed with linen, saying, Take fire from between the wheels and between the cherubims, then He went in and stood beside the wheels. And one cherub stretched forth his hand from between the cherubims under the fire that was between the cherubims and took thereof and put it into the hands of him that was clothed with linen who took it and went out. So obviously they're going and, and as he said, drop these places over the city. Verse 8, there appeared in the cherubims the form of a man's hand under their wings. And I looked and behold the four wheels by the cherubims, one wheel by one cherub, another wheel by another cherub, and the appearance of the wheels was as the color of a barrel stone. Um, I'm not an artist and I don't have a chart on this, but uh, what I've seen uh, in one book was these were lined up together and there was a wheel that connected each of them. That's one artist's rendering and um, that may be where it is because the way, that, the way those last two verses sound, it sounded like it, they, they may be connected by those wheels. Odd looking thing, uh, nonetheless. But these are called cherubim and they're found here in the book of Ezekiel. Um, but go with me to um, Isaiah for a moment, back to chapter 6 of Isaiah. So, um, there are a lot of people much smarter than me that make, try to make a guess at what this, what this is and what they're doing, what that's all about. I, I, I don't go that far. I can't. That's, 
that's above my pay grade. <laughs> so let's, uh, let's look, though, and see a little bit more of where these are mentioned. And the only thing I can come to the, that I think any, any reader of Scripture could definitely say in, in general is these are just creatures in God's presence for a purpose. God has them there for a purpose. Now, they're not angels because they're given a title of cherubim. So they're not angels, and angels don't have wings in Scripture, and these do. All right, let's go to uh, Isaiah 6, verse 1 to 8. In the year that King Uzziah died, uh, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. So this is another creature similar, but look at their description. Each one had six wings. With twain or with two, he covered his face. With twain, he covered his feet, and with twain, he did fly. So two covered his face. Two covered his feet, and two he flew. So he was able to move with two. Two he covered his face because of the glory of God, and two he covered his feet. Um, feet, feet in Scripture, if we're just applying it, us represents the you know the things we do, the places we go. But nevertheless, they covered their faces, their feet, and they they flew with the others. Verse three: and One cried unto another, and said, "Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory." And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So Isaiah had a similar vision uh, in God's presence that Ezekiel did. But he saw what are called seraphim. Verse, verse 6, Then flew one of the seraphim unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And then he lays on his mouth. Um, for time's sake, we won't go there, but Revelation 4, verse 6 to 11, and Revelation 5, verse 6 to 14, um, mention in God's presence, John saw these, they're called four beasts, they're called creatures in Ezekiel 1, um, but it looks like they have, uh, with them, they have, they're described as six wings, so it looks like they are probably seraphim. Uh, also, but... In God's presence, at any given time, apparently these cherubim or seraphim appear. So, what do we get from that? Well, we just know that you know there there are creatures, there there are beings that God has created in the spirit world. We can't see with our eyes. God allowed Isaiah to see him. God allowed allowed Ezekiel to see him because they saw him actually in his presence. And so, when John goes up in the Book of Revelation, chapter four, uh, in God's presence, he's going to show him all that's going to happen in the future. He sees them. So um, we can't see them. Um, we're, we're here on earth, but they're in God's presence. And one day when we get there, we'll know what they are. <laughs> we'll get to see them personally too. But at any rate, um, the, the thing I want to point out here is just the fact God uses those to call him. But nevertheless, he gives him just a little glimpse of glory. So kind of boiling that down for you and me, um, sometimes we go through things in life and, and uh, we're, we read something in the Word or we hear something preached or we hear a song um, that encourages us and makes, you know, makes heaven a little closer to us, a little nearer to us. And, um, you know, we may not have a vision like that and probably won't, but, you know, something that makes us um, uh, uh, long for heaven more. And we live long enough in this life, we're going to have those things to happen time to time where we'll, we'll Lord, you know, take, take me in your presence, Lord. I'm ready to be with you. Chapter 8, verse 6. Let's move on to Ezekiel. We've got to get... Get moving on through here. Several things to look at tonight. Chapter 8 and verse 6, we see where because of his ministry to Israel, to Jerusalem and to the people there. Um, let's see. Do I have the right verse here? I have the right chapter and I have the right verse. I have the wrong book. Let me get over to Ezekiel and I'll get to where I'm supposed to be. Okay. I was about to go back into Isaiah again. Ezekiel chapter 8. And verse number six. Okay, so here he says this. Um, he said, therefore, he said, Further, uh, furthermore, unto me, son of man, seest what they do, even the great abominations that the house of Israel committeth here, that I should go far off from my sanctuary, return thee again, thou shalt see greater abominations. So they had, um, they had uh, brought idolatry, idols, into God's temple there. And so um, the idolatry actually began there. So they were very, you know, brazen about their disobedience to God and about their idolatry. And that's where uh, he, he takes Ezekiel there to see that. And he says, I want you to remind the people of this, that this is where it began. Chapter 9, verse 6. Slay utterly old and young. Um, 
both maids and little children and women, but come not near any man upon whom is the mark, begin at my sanctuary. Then they begin at the ancient men which were before the house. So the judgment of God would begin there at the temple. It's called the sanctuary there, but it would begin there. That's where his judgment would begin. Go over to chapter 28. We'll skip several chapters here. Um, we'll come back to a couple of things in a moment, but go with me to chapter 28. Now this, uh, If you were in the Isaiah study or if you heard it on the podcast, um, this is a description of uh, Satan, his past and his future. Chapter 28, and uh, we looked a little bit at this when we studied Isaiah, and we looked at Isaiah chapter 14. And so it says this in chapter 28, verse 11 of uh, Ezekiel. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sum, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Um, so he gives this prophecy to the king of Tyrus, but even though he's talking to him, he's not talking about him. Remember when, um, when Simon Peter, um, when Jesus asked him, he said, who do people say that I, that I am? He said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And he said, great, Simon, you're right. He said, uh, flesh and blood has not revealed that to thee, but my, but my father in heaven has revealed that to thee. And then just a, just a verse or two later, he tells him, he says, the Son of Man, speaking of himself, I'm going to be, I'm going to be crucified. Uh, I'm, going to be taken, um, I'm, going to be, I'm going to be taken by the Gentiles. I'll be um, uh, spat upon. I'll be crucified, and, and I will die and rise the third day. And Peter says, uh, oh, no, Lord, for, don't let this happen. And what, was, what did he say to him uh, when he rebuked Peter? Get thee behind me, Satan. So God, uh, through uh, Ezekiel, even though Ezekiel is talking to a king, we can tell who he's describing because look at the next verse. Look at verse 11. Well, verse 10 said he was perfect, uh, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. In beauty, Look at verse 13. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. The king of Tyrus had never been in Eden, had he? Of course not. Uh, but Satan had. Remember, in fact, we talked about it Sunday morning in uh, Sunday school. If you're here, we talked about uh, the, the serpent. Verse 13. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God, and he describes everything about, uh, describes much about him, uh, about the um, how there were um, uh, beautiful stones uh, found on him. So look at verse, this word on C, verse 14. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth. So Lucifer, before he fell, we saw those cherub that are described uh, in, uh, in chapters 1 and 10. Apparently, Lucifer was one of those before he fell. And so whereas there are four, when Ezekiel sees them, there was at least five earlier, and, and Lucifer, Satan, was one of them. And then you read on down through there, and it describes about him and uh, about finally his end when you look at um, verses uh, 18 and 19, that he would be brought down, he would, be, uh, he would never, never be again. One day the Lord would destroy him. Uh, so anyway, we see in Ezekiel about uh, our enemy's past and his future. You get to chapter 37. This is in that section that we're getting about prophecy of future things. Chapter 37 is the, valley, uh, is the vision of the valley of dry bones. You heard the old uh, song years ago, the ankle bones connected to the, was the shin bones, is that right? And then the knee bone and all that. So that's where this comes from. Start with me at verse 1. We're not going to read the whole chapter, of course. Um, look with me starting at verse number 1. The, the hand of the Lord was upon me and carried me out in the spirit of the Lord. Boy, Ezekiel got took places. Did, he did some weird things, but he got to see things other people didn't see, didn't he? Uh, carried me out in the spirit of the Lord and was set down in the midst of the valley, which was full of bones. And he caused me to pass by them round about. And behold, there were very many in the open valley, and lo, they were very dry. And he said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live? Boy, Ezekiel gave an answer that everybody would give. Oh, Lord God, thou knowest. Lord, I have no idea what you know. That's the best answer to give the Lord sometimes. And he said unto me, prophesy upon these bones and say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. He preached to some strange people too. He preached to some that didn't exist, didn't he? Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and ye shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you and bring up flesh on you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you. Ye shall live and ye shall know that I am the Lord. So he was obedient. Verse 7, he prophesied as he was commanded. And all of a sudden it says in verse 7, uh, there was a noise and behold a shaking and the bones came together, bone to his bone. Uh, verse 8, sinew, flesh, just as God said. Look at verse, um, look at verse number 11. And he said unto me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. 
So what he's showing Ezekiel in this vision of these dry bones, one day, Ezekiel, my people are in captivity. Remember, they were in the very midst of captivity then. My people are in captivity. Israel's in captivity. Judah's in captivity. Jerusalem's destroyed. But one day, I'm again, I'm going to, again, I'm going to bring my people uh, together. I'm going to bring them uh, to myself. So this prophecy of the Valley of Dry Bones will come to pass at the end of the tribulation. After the tribulation's over, those who survive and their descendants will be this Valley of Dry Bones. Um, the tribulation, God uses that to draw Israel back to themselves. Many of them will not believe, but some of them will. And they will believe during the tribulation. They'll reject the mark of the beast. They'll reject the mark of the beast. They'll make it through the tribulation. And they will uh, have living bodies during the millennial reign of Christ. We'll come to that in the future in our study on a prophecy on Sunday morning sometime in the future. But they will, they will be living. They'll make it through the tribulation. They'll be in living bodies. If they had any sickness at the end of the tribulation, that sickness will be healed. And they will live in the tribulation. And they'll have offspring uh, throughout the tribulation. You and I, we will be in glorified bodies. Uh, we won't be in bodies like these. We'll be in a glorified body. We'll get to that in the future in our studies on Sunday morning also. So the Valley of Dry Bones is God's promising through Ezekiel, I am going to one day again work through my Old Testament people, through Israel. I'm going to work through them again. I'm going to resurrect them as a nation, and um, they will once again be my, be my people. Chapters 38 and 39 are about Gog and Magog, battles in the, I just put tribulation there, but one of those battles will be at, uh, during the tribulation and one will actually be at the end of it, uh, or excuse me, it'll be at the end of the millennium. We'll get to that also in the future sometime. But anyway, these the battles are described in those two chapters, 38 and 39. All right, uh, just uh, do some backtracking a little bit and then we'll get into some more um, before we close this tonight. We've got a few minutes uh, chapter 14, in two places here, Ezekiel mentions three of the Old Testament men that were heroes of faith. Ezekiel chapter 14 and verse number 14 and verse number 20. And he says this, he's speaking, uh, the Lord's speaking to um, Ezekiel. Those, these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it. They should deliver but their own souls by their righteousness, saith the Lord. Verse Number um, 20, though Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, as I live, saith the Lord, uh, saith the Lord God, they shall deliver neither their sons nor daughter, they shall but deliver their own souls by their righteousness. And he's talking about there the, uh, how the sword would come through the land, how there would be many people that would be um, killed by enemy nations and so forth. But he mentions those three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job. So here in Ezekiel, you know, God confirms the lives of these men that they were actual men, as the Scripture says. Noah, of course, made it through the flood. Uh, he and his family survived the flood. Daniel survived the lion's den, and you know, God had a great place for him to be um, to, to serve there under Nebuchadnezzar. And Job, as we looked at him a few weeks ago, Job survived through many uh, personal difficulties, health, family, all the, that he went through uh, for. Uh, a number of years, and then God, um, you know, God restored everything to him. So He uses these three men uh, for Ezekiel to to realize and, and, and to know their faith and how God used them, and that uh, the whole nation of Israel fell short, and Judah fell short of you know a uh, character of, of righteousness like these men had in their lives. All right. A um, few things on tune-up. Ezekiel's reverence and worship in chapter 1 and verse 28, when he saw those uh, creatures that were described, we see he says this in verse 28, And the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud of the rain, so was the appearance of brightness round about. This was the appearance and likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, Ezekiel says, I fell upon my face and I heard the voice of one that spake. Uh, Ezekiel was very reverent in his worship. He fell on his face. He knew that worship wasn't about him. It was about the Lord. And so his focus was upon the Lord and what he was saying to him and what he was telling him. Chapter 3, verse 15 to 20 uh, tells us the importance of, uh, of telling others, giving them the good news. And we can apply it, of course, when it comes to the gospel. And it says in uh, chapter 3 that he was sent out to, uh, to warn the wicked. Look at verse... Um, 
Let's pick up at verse number 20, if you will. And again, when a righteous man doth turn from his righteousness and commit iniquity, and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die, because thou hast not given him warning. He shall die in his sin, and his righteousness, which he hath done, shall not be remembered, but his blood will I require at thy hands. You read through that section, you'll see the importance of, of warning uh, the wicked, and Ezekiel's ministry was that very thing, was to warn. And then in chapter 13, verse 10, and verse 16, um, while Ezekiel was preaching, apparently there were some false prophets uh, throughout the city of Jerusalem. Now, God had called him to go. Now, I want you to preach to my people. Tell them, those that remain in the city, that yes, you're here in the city when everybody else is in Babylon, but destruction's coming. And yet there were those who, who were saying the very opposite. Look at verse 10 of chapter 13. Because even because they have seduced my people, saying, peace and there was no peace, and one built up a wall, and lo, others daubed it with untempered mortar. Skip over to verse number, uh, what did I say, verse 16. To wit, the prophets of Israel, which prophesy concerning Jerusalem, and which see the visions of peace for her, there is no peace, saith the Lord God. So obviously there were some that were telling people what they wanted to hear, that there was going to be peace when God sent Ezekiel to say, no, there's not going to be any of that at all. And Paul talks about in 2 Timothy 4 about those that, in the last days, we'll have teachers, or we'll look for teachers with itching ears. They want to hear what they want to hear. The book of Ezekiel contains more prophecies uh, concerning the millennial reign of Christ than all other prophecies combined, all the other Old Testament prophets combined. That's quite an amazing thing. When we studied uh, Isaiah, remember we talked about where the wolf will lie down with the, uh, with the, uh, um, the lamb the, or the... The wolf, the, yeah, would lie down with the lamb. We talked about that in uh, in Isaiah, and it talked about how the desert would spring forth and blossom as a rose. So Isaiah has a lot in there about the millennial reign of Christ, how he will restore the earth to the way it once was before sin came in. And so he does it more from what we would think of the physical effects, the geography. He talks about the animal kingdom and life and how they will no longer devour each other. And he talks about the, the beauty of what the earth will look like. But Ezekiel talks about it more from the aspect of um, the king reigning and more of the aspect of his kingdom uh, during the millennium. Part of which will be the temple that will be, be built. But he, he contains more prophecies about the millennial reign to come than any of the uh, others or all the other uh, Old Testament prophets combined. So when you get to chapters 40 to 48, this is kind of where we left off. Um, this, is a, this whole section is about the millennial reign of Christ. Uh, in chapter 40, verse 1 to 43, verse 12, we don't have time to look at it uh, all tonight, but when you go through those chapters, you'll see the description of the temple in the millennium. Now, let me give you a slide real quick. So... Right now, and probably Sunday morning, we're going to start uh, in our. We're going to come back to our prophecy study and look uh, begin to look at the tribulation. So, if you can see, you may not be able to see this or read it because of the size or something. On the left, you have the present church age where we're at now. That first line, um, vertical line there, is uh, is the rapture of the church, and then the tribulation begins. This I borrowed this from David Jeremiah. I hope he doesn't mind. Uh, the tribulation begins. Uh, for, for seven years. And the first half of it will be somewhat peaceful. The second half will be just total destruction, just um, one thing after another. So at some point uh, at the time or right after that the church is raptured, the uh, temple will be built in Jerusalem. There's some, some people say, well, it may start before the rapture. And it might start before the rapture. There's nothing to say that it won't. Uh, but the temple will be rebuilt. I've mentioned this to you many, many times in different studies. There is a, um, there's, there's a, a website and a Facebook. Uh, there's, a, there's a group in, in Jerusalem called the Temple Institute. They are, they've already worked on and already making the, um, the priestly robes, all the priestly garments. The only thing they don't have is the Ark of the Covenant that at least they don't let people know about. Uh, but they have everything else in place. They're looking for the perfect uh, red heifer. The, the reason the red heifer is back in the book of Leviticus or Numbers when we studied that uh, in our study. There's a prophecy, uh, or excuse me, there's a, there's a verse in there that when the temple, when the tabernacle is dedicated and then later the temple, the, the first offering to dedicate that temple is from a perfect specimen 
uh, of this, you know, of a red um, cow, of a heifer, of the a perfect specimen. And so they've, uh, they're working on getting that genetically the perfect specimen of that red heifer. And they're getting pretty close from the things I've been reading. So I'm not going to say they're going to start building tomorrow or the next day or the next month. But what I'm trying to say is they do have things ready for it. And when they start to build the temple, it could be before the rapture. It may be right after the rapture, which is what I think will happen personally. But the temple will be built in the tribulation. Sacrifices will start back for a period of time. But this temple, even though Israel is going to think, we finally got it. We've got our temple. Our Messiah is going to come back. It's actually the temple of the Antichrist. Because he will go into the temple. He will declare himself as being God. And that's when the peace that he makes with Israel, that's when the peace treaty will be broken. And he'll declare to be God. And he'll declare that everyone worship him. And so... Um, that temple that they think they're building to bring the Messiah, um, it's really going to be a temple for the Antichrist in that sense. And he'll come in and he'll desecrate the temple. We'll talk about that. This is an advertisement for the book of Daniel next week, okay? And so the temple will be rebuilt. But that temple, like everything else, at the end of the tribulation will be destroyed and there will be a temple built for the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. Now that temple is not for sacrifices for sin. There will be sacrifices offered up, but those will be sacrifices for worship. That Remember we just talked about how the dry bones and the Jews that will live in bodies, uh, human bodies throughout the tribulation, they will worship in the temple. Now we may go there, we may observe things, but that's not going to be for us. Why? Because we're already in glorified bodies with our Savior. We're going to already be with Him. But they will go back to worship at the temple. Not sacrifices for sin. Jesus already paid for that. But they will worship in sacrifices of uh, thanksgiving and, of, and, and offerings of, of praise and worship. And so the temple will be rebuilt. And those, those chapters, forty to four, uh, about half of 43, describe that. And then the worship in the temple from 43.13 to 47.12. And then chapters 47.13 uh, to, to the end of it. Well, it gives the allotment for the 12 tribes of Israel. So when Jesus comes back, when Ezekiel's living at this time, the kingdom's divided. Both kingdoms have gone into captivity. Israel to Assyria, um, Judah to Babylon. They're still separated. They're still divided. Many have gone back to the land. Uh, many have not, but many have gone back to the land of Israel now, but they're there in unbelief. When the king comes back, They'll be there in belief. And those dry bones, will, that will come to pass, just as he said it would do. And so uh, there, will, there will be allotted the land there in Israel, the land grant that was originally given from Abraham and to Abraham and to the 12 tribes. That will all be allotted to each of the tribes. And that's, just, that's uh, described there in those chapters. I need to move quick. So just a couple of verses for fuel up. We see uh, the glory of, of, uh, of the Lord being on the throne there in chapter 1, verse 26. We won't go back to there. But I do want to look at one other verse, uh, at least right now. Chapter 22 and verse 30. In the midst of Ezekiel, all his preaching and, and uh, warning the people of the, in Jerusalem and, and seeing things even from when he was in Babylon, chapter 22 and verse 30, it says this, And I saw for a man among them that they should make up a hedge, and stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it. But I found none. So he tells Ezekiel, I'm looking for somebody. I'm looking for somebody that will stand in the gap, that will pray for um, all, you know, all for my people, will pray for all of them, that destruction will not come. But he said, I found none. So that's how uncaring they were. Even when they'd gone into, into captivity, even when they'd gone through great suffering uh, in Jerusalem, Nobody wanted to say, Lord, please, you know, put an end to this, stop this. And nobody even prayed that he would, uh, that, that his judgment wouldn't fall. They wouldn't do that. He said, so I'm looking for just one person who will make up a hedge. A hedge is something that is for protection. Uh, we think of it today in like a fence, a privacy fence or something. It's something for protection. And he said, I, I look for somebody who would help protect my people by praying for them. So the practical way of applying that is, is thinking about the book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus is our great high priest and he's praying, he's praying for you and for me uh, there in heaven. He's praying for us. But also, um, there may be times in our life where there may be someone that we're praying for we may not know it. We may be the only person praying for them, at least faithfully. 
And, you know, maybe God will work through our prayers and be one who stands in the gap. So I love that verse, and that's a verse for fuel up this week. Uh, some verses um, about, um, to think about for, um, I, missed, I missed one, didn't I? Anyway, um, some verses to, to, to think about and to apply and to think about as a believer. Um, he said in verse three of chapter 3, verse 3, he said that uh, his word was as, as, as honey in his mouth for sweetness. And so there's a sweetness of what God tells us in his word. He comforts us. He strengthens us. He gives us direction through his word. And he told, Jeremiah, uh, excuse me, told Ezekiel, uh, take my words, put them in my mouth, eat them, and they will be like honey. Um, he says in chapter 11, verse 5, I know the things that come into your mind. God knows what's on our mind. There are times where um, we, we may not even feel like praying. Uh, we may not, it's something so heavy on our heart and mind. I'm, you know, it, just about every time we talk about unspoken requests, and we know that the Lord knows what's on our mind, whatever it is, good or bad, He knows what's on our mind. Uh, chapter 18, verse 20, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. Um, a great verse to use for witnessing and telling, you know, giving the gospel to people that we're all sinners. And then the verse, stand in the gap. And then chapter 33, verse 10. I'll close with this one tonight. Chapter 33 and verse number 10. Therefore, O thou son of man, speak unto the house of Israel. Thus you speak, saying, If our transgressions and our sins be upon us, and we pine away in them, how should we then live? Not very well. We won't, you know, we, God encouraged us in his word to keep, to keep short accounts with him and, and to, to confess our, our sins and confess our, our sins when we disobey him and, and um, we, we dis, and displease him. So we'll stop there for tonight. Ezekiel, a lot in there, and uh, we didn't get through all of it even, but a lot of it in there tonight. A lot of prophecy, things to come. Any questions or anything before we close in prayer? input or anything. Okay, well, let's stand and close in prayer. Lord willing, next week we'll be in the book of Daniel. That's another one of my favorites. I look forward to Daniel and it's 12 chapters, but there's a lot in there and we'll, we'll look forward to having a good time in Daniel. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word tonight. Uh, thank you for what we learned from Ezekiel and the prophecies you've given him. And Lord, as we read through uh, the book of Ezekiel, we see so many things that you told him to do. Some very, to our minds, very odd things. But he did that um, because he was obedient to you. He loved you. But we know that it, there were ultimately there were for your people to see a, a, a way of seeing with their eyes to get their attention to think about the words that you would have them to understand. Uh, the words uh, of prophecy through Ezekiel. And uh, we thank you for the life he lived, his, his love for you. And Lord, we pray that you'll help us as we can continue in all of your word uh, to learn from it and grow in grace and knowledge of our Savior. Pray that you'll keep us safe as we leave, leave from here tonight. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.